I got the right one. Yeah. Am I on? Good. This one's taller. I'm going to use this one. Um, I would also like to pray for Garth and Hattie and Jamie as well. So if you would join me. Father, thank you for Pastor Garth and for Patty and all the work they put in here. Uh, not only here in this building, but Lord, striving in their prayers for us. Um, just like the Apostle Paul um, prayed hard for his churches, I know they do for us. And Lord Jamie, I want to pray for her as she's having some flu-like symptoms, uh, fever. Uh, Lord, we know um, as a mother that Patty is naturally worried about her daughter all the way in Mexico. So I just want to pray that you give them both peace, the peace that passes understanding, that they would just lean on you and know, you know what, Jamie is sick now, but she'll be okay. She'll recover. And um, everything will go back uh, to normal. So give them that peace, Lord. And help them to pray for us too, because it's not nice weather like it is over there. So just give us peace too. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a real prayer. I wasn't joking. Okay, so uh, today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 22 and ending in chapter 2, verse 3. So I'm going to warn you now, okay? The next slide you're going to see is very scary. So if there's any children, please cover their eyes. Okay, I'm going to give you three seconds to do that. One, two, three. That is me when I was 13 years old. That's when I was a wrestling enthusiast. Terrible. So I was 13 years old in that picture. And when I was 13 years old, actually this was my dad zooming the camera in on my face. Um, and I got really annoyed, so I'm making that face. Um, so when I, was, when I was 13 years old, I was a no-good punk, um, as many 13-year-old boys are. I remember one day in the summer before grade 9, I was walking through a neighborhood in the villages where I grew up uh, with a friend. And you know when you're 13 and when you're with your friends, you want to be tough. You want to look cool, right? That's like the number one thing you want to do when you're that age. So I saw an older boy sitting on his porch and thought, how could I look cool in front of my friends? Well, I'll talk some smack to this older boy and show how tough I am. So I began to yell at him and call him names and all this kind of stuff. And he said, look, you better stop. Okay? You better stop yelling out. So you know what I did? Like a coward, I yelled out whatever it was and I began to run. Run, rather. You know those guys that drive by and they yell and then they drive? Those cowards? That was me. Well, he was much faster than me. And by the time I got to the end of the street, he had tackled me onto a neighbor's lawn. So I looked up in fear, frightened. This was it. I'm going to die. But this older boy looked at me and he said this. Listen carefully. And he said something like this. I'm not going to hurt you. I know who your older brother is. And I know you're going into high school soon. If you talk like that to some of my friends, they would smash you. 
So learn your lesson now and be nice to everyone and you'll do all right. And then he let me go. The actions and the kind words, the words, I want to focus on the words he said, saved me multiple beatings in high school, I'm sure. Words can change us. It changed the way I live. I, I, I stopped talking smack to people because of the words of uh, that, that, I don't even know his name. I should have got his name. <clears throat> In an infinitely greater way, the work of Christ and his word changes the way we live. If the word of some 15-year-old kid could change the way I live, how much more can the word of God, or should the word of God, change the way that I live radically. So today we're going to talk about the word of God and how through the word of God we are born again, we're spiritually nourished, and because of that we can now love one another from a pure heart. So in a sense we're born and we're raised in the gospel. So let's start reading from the word because that's what matters. Chapter 1 starting at verse 22, Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So Peter starts this passage by encouraging us to love one another from a pure heart. That sounds pretty easy, but it's not. For those of us who have been around people, for any period of time, you'll know it's not always easy to love them. The truth is, sometimes we don't feel like loving one another. And the even sadder truth is, even amongst church people, sometimes we don't want to love one another. There may even be somebody in this very room who you're thinking, oh, I wish they would just go to another church. I don't, I don't like them. I'm not saying these things to, to condemn you. I'm not saying these things to make you feel bad. We all have a hard time loving people from time to time. You're not alone. But I want to expose our areas of weakness so that the word of God can give us the solution. Because if we think we're, we're okay, if we think we're not weak, then what's the, what's the use of the word? God gave us his word because he knows we're weak and we need his guidance. We ought to love one another from a pure heart because we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God. And it's through this very word, the very words of God, that we're born again to new life. Now, I wasn't a very good science student. I wasn't a really good student, period, but science was never really my, good, my best subject. As a matter of fact, I thought it'd be a good idea to take an academic level of science in grade 9. Um, that was a horrible idea because I ended up getting 34% in that class and failed miserably, so I learned my lesson. But I'm going to do my best right now to give you a simple biology lesson. Very simple. You see, when a man and woman love one another, they get married. And then they consummate that marriage by becoming physically intimate with one another. The man produces a seed, the woman has an egg. When the seed implants the egg, 
we have a new, distinct human life. Doesn't matter what society tells you, God's word tells us first that the seed in the egg is a human being, and then science backs that up if you, if you don't take the word of God seriously, which we do here. So that's a new, distinct human life. After nine months of development, a baby is born into the world. We know this. And that is how God determined new human life to be formed. See, very simple, right? I got that right, I think. Where are my nurses and students who know that? Did I get it right? I got it right. But I know that my attempt to explain this miraculous process is quite pitiful. So let's watch a video instead. No? My, okay. There it is. Pretty impressive how that happens. Our development in the womb is really miraculous. How do you go from a, a seed and an egg to, to, to this? Only God could do such a thing. 
if the seed of the man, which is perishable, the Bible says, right? That's what Peter said. He said that we're born again, not of perishable seed, because that's how we started. If the perishable seed is that impressive, that miraculous, that awe-inspiring, that people spend their lives to study and understand that process, then how much more impressive, how much more glorious, how much better is the imperishable seed that God uh, causes us to be born again into? This body I have will not last forever. It'll perish. It'll die. And so will yours. But the Bible says that the seed of the word of God that causes us to be born again is imperishable. It never dies. It never perishes. It never goes into the ground. When we're born again, a miracle occurs that far surpasses the miracle that we just witnessed. Far surpasses that. We inherit eternal life. And although these bodies we have will perish, we will never perish if we've been born again by the word of God, the living and abiding word of God. So since, therefore, we've been born again by this imperishable seed that never perishes, that never dies, let's love one another then. And Peter further makes his point by saying this. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. All flesh is like grass. It perishes. It dies. It withers away. But the word of God remains forever. And then Peter makes it specific now. What is the word of God specifically? He says, in this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word good news in Greek is evangelizo, which in other parts of scripture is just translated simply as the gospel. So that is the word of God. The word of God is the gospel from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, I think, is all the gospel. It's all the word of God. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 8, which is the scripture that uh, Peter is quoting in verse 24 of First um, Peter chapter 1. So this is the original text that Peter is quoting from. Isaiah writes this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, sorry, a voice, where, where am I at? A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall, shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Isaiah is prophesying uh, that Judah would be carried into Babylonian exile. So when this passage, passage was written, it looked pretty hopeless for God's people. It looked pretty hopeless for the people who he was writing to. But then God inspires Isaiah to write this portion of scripture. And in this passage, he promises to, one, pardon iniquity or sin. Pardon it forever. Two, that a prophet would prepare the way of the Lord, of Yahweh. Three, that the glory of Yahweh would be seen by flesh. That God would somehow, that the eternal God would walk among us and that the perishable seed would see that, and four, that the word of God would stand forever, give us eternal life. So there we have the gospel in a nutshell in Isaiah chapter 40. In 2013, people from all around the world collectively spent $25.7 billion on flowers. Madness. Some bought flowers for their gardens, some bought flowers for weddings and parties, and some bought flowers for their wives or girlfriends. Flowers are nice. How many women like to receive flowers? Sorry, guys. You gotta go buy flowers now. They smell nice. They're beautifully arrayed with all sorts of colors and textures and shapes, and some of them even serve medicinal purposes. They're a wonderful gift of God for us to enjoy. So let me tell you a quick story. When Shelly and I started dating, I thought it would be romantic to get her a flower. <clears throat> I was like 18 and unemployed and had no money, so I thought I'd just keep my eye out for a freebie. One day, <laughs> what else are you going to do? One day, we were walking to a friend's house, and I noticed a nice house. And this nice house had a nice bed of flowers. There was a lot of flowers there, and so I figured they wouldn't miss one. Right? So I ran up and plucked up a nice flower and gave it to her. And she enjoyed it. Now, this is that flower. She kept it. And I found it. <laughs> it's withered. It smells weird. It does. You want to smell it? It smells weird. It's fragile. It's, it's, it's essentially, it's garbage. The grass withers, the flower fades. Not to worry, though, because the flowers will come back next spring, right? Well, soon enough, they'll join their friend here and be just as pitiful and just as fragile and just as worthy to be thrown into the garbage. But she kept it, so there it is. We put so much work into cultivating flowers and doing our best to ensure that they look nice so our homes are... are, are up to standard, we want to keep up with the Joneses, which is fine. Cultivation is a gift from God. He, he, he says that we should. We're supposed to cultivate the earth. But we so often spend so much time on stuff that fades and neglect that which doesn't. The word of God, which does not wither and does not fade, and that stands forever. The eternal word, the gospel message that we preach through which we've born again to, a, to eternal life is incorruptible, imperishable. It stands forever. 
From the beginning, the devil has sought to destroy this word with no lasting success. Remember what he said to Eve? Did God really say? He was attacking God's word. Did God really say you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Bibles are burned and outlawed all throughout the world, but still it remains the most distributed book year by year. The gospel which was preached to Abraham, prophesied by Isaiah, and fulfilled by Jesus, and preached by Peter here in our text, cannot be stopped. The gospel, the word of God cannot be stopped. If the mighty Roman Empire couldn't stop a bunch of fishermen from Galilee who weren't even educated, if they couldn't stop them, who can? What can? Islam cannot stop it. Communism cannot stop it. They've tried, failed. Secularism cannot stop it. They don't want our kids praying in school. doesn't matter. It won't stop the gospel. Anytime God's people have met opposition, it's only made God's word flourish even more. Like the gold that is put into the fire, it just refines us. It makes us better. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God, the gospel of grace, will stand forever. So this word of God, which causes us to be born again, to love one another, which never fades, it doesn't stop there. It is also our spiritual nourishment. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we're coming full circle now. Peter reminds us in verse 22 of chapter 1 that we need to live in love because of God's word that is in us, and God is love. So therefore, if his word is in us, we have to love because that's who he is, and if we don't, then First John tells us his love is not in us. Pretty simple. He tells us to love one another with a pure heart. Now in verse 1 of chapter 2, he comes full circle and encourages us to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, which are all things which hinder us from loving one another from a pure heart. You cannot love some, somebody and deceive them. You can't love somebody and, and act hypocritically or envy or slander. You can't slander someone and say, I love them. That doesn't make sense. So the solution to the problem of our lovelessness is to long for the word of God. In the previous verses, Peter talks about our spiritual conception, conceived and born again by the seed of the word of God. And now he moves forward to our spiritual growth. Like a baby who longs for his or her mother's milk, we need to long for the word of God and the nourishment that comes from the gospel. So when a baby is born, it's completely dependent on someone else, his, uh, his or her mother. Without the mother's milk or some other type of nutrition, the baby just can't live. It can't grow. It can't survive. Babies can't 
make a conscious decision and speak to their mother and say, hey, mom, I'm hungry. How about some milk now? That's not how it works. But God has put in place a mechanism that will ensure that even if the mother forgets, which is quite rare, but even if that happens, the baby will get its nourishment. And this mechanism is called glass shattering, ear piercing, crying. You moms understand. I don't. Thank God I don't. One day I will, but for now I'm safe. If you've ever seen a hungry baby, it, it looks something like that. They cry, they yell, miserable. But once they receive their nourishment, they look like this. Peaceful, happy, loving life. The more love and nourishment that the baby receives, the more healthy they will develop, and the more physically mature they will become. So the application for us is quite obvious, isn't it? We need to long for the spiritual nourishment of the gospel like babies long for the physical nourishment from their mother. There is only one way we can grow up into salvation, as Peter says. This is the only way. See, the salvation is already ours. We already have it. But we, need, we just need to grow up into it, which is a lifelong process which the Lord Jesus Christ will complete on the day when he returns. But let me just say this. There's going to be times in our lives we don't understand. Maybe you're in one of those times. Something happened in your life. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. But we all have hard times. And when we have hard times, I've learned, as of late, the process of growing up into salvation is quite painful. Growth hurts sometimes. And perhaps during those times, the word of God, which at one point in our life tasted so sweet and good, will begin to taste bitter and hard. When we're sick, we often shove disgusting cough syrup down our throats. Right? Buckley's. I actually like how that tastes, though. <laughs> but we often shove this disgusting cough syrup in our mouths because we know something. It's going to help us. It's going to make us better. Once it's digested, the medicine, it begins to work. It becomes healing for us. So in the same way, sometimes God's word will be hard and bitter for us to swallow. But once it's down and begins to digest and begins to work, it will be healing for our souls. Peter didn't receive some special revelation when he wrote um, that we need to long for the spiritual nourishment of God's word because he just simply heard Jesus say it. Jesus says this, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. God's word sustains us. Even if you're not a believer. When you hear people slander God, when you hear people blaspheme God, who gave them breath to do that? Who sustains them to do that? When people 
slander God, they have to sit on his lap to slap him in the face. God is patient. God is kind. Jesus said that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He created all things by his word, and all things are held together in him, the scripture says. So even those who don't believe God are sustained by God, whether they like it or not. This is the power of the word of God, and man shall not live by bread alone. We can't live by bread alone, because God created bread. I mean, we got to eat food, I understand that. But our life doesn't come from food. It comes from God's word, because he created us. We're born again, we're raised in this gospel, it changes how we live as Christians. Through the word of God, we are eternally sealed. The word of God is steady, it will never fail. And when we consume it all the time, like we should, it causes us now to love one another. So what do I do? You said a lot of stuff, but what do I do? This is what you do. Love one another from a pure heart. Long for the eternal word of God daily as a child longs for its mother's milk. It's simple. It's simply said, not simply done. I understand that. But that's it. Long for God's word. And you'll soon see yourself beginning to love people who before were unlovable in your opinion. So long for that word. Peter's writing to a church here, not to one person. So this is a corporate thing, longing for the word together, not alone. This Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. So love one another, put away all those things which hinder that, and together, let's long for the word of God and love one another. Because we're all born again into the same family by the same imperishable seed of the gospel. We all have the same father, God. And we're all spiritual siblings. Whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're small, whether you're big, doesn't matter. Female, male, we're siblings. Love one another as family because that's what we are. And remember this, that the grass withers and the flower fades. You won't last forever, your body, but if you put your trust in God's word, your body will be the least of your concerns. And you'll long for the day when you can put this body off and put on the imperishable. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that by your word we can receive eternal life. Lord, help us to live for the things that are unseen. Help us to live for your kingdom. And as we sojourn here on earth as citizens, of heaven help us to live that way in heaven in glory Lord when we get there 
There is no slander, no hypocrisy, no deceit. There is only love. There is only grace. So as citizens of that kingdom, let's live like that now. Help us to live like that now, Lord. So that when we get to glory, when you come, Lord, and you roll up the heavens like a scroll, and you recreate this this mess we made, it won't be foreign to us because we've been loving one another from day one. God help us is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.